Bom dia, boa tarde. Welcome to another episode of the PortugueseSoccer.com podcast. I'm your guest host, John Neves, back here again to talk about my favorite subject, your favorite subject, and that is, of course, Portuguese soccer, Portuguese football, whatever word you use in your part of the world. Episode 198, there's so much to talk about in this episode. Obviously, the national team uh, setting a record. We've got cup football this weekend, the fourth round. We've got some massive matches next week in the middle of the week in European competition with uh, Porto, Benfica, Braga, and uh, Sporting. We've got, of course, uh, my uh, report here on the second division. We do have second division football this weekend, even though there is cup competition. Uh, reviewing the latest news with women's football. Uh, we've got the Euro draw also coming up next week. And, of course, I'll have my player abroad report, my Big Four report, and then we'll end it talking about the updates. I know a lot of you love it. My favorite club in Portugal in the fifth tier, Atletico dos Arcos, giving you an update on my club. And then we'll also do the uh, mailbag. But first of all, let me just go very quickly here because I kind of know it's old news, but I want to take this opportunity to comment on it. Um, for the national team, the Seleção Portugal, we did not need a calculator. We won our matches, convincing fashion, although some would say the first half against Liechtenstein in match day nine was awful, but 10 matches, 10 wins, 36 goals scored. Only one match did we allow two goals, and that was against Slovakia. Our goal differential was plus 34. And at the end of the day, while we could say that the group turned out not to be very difficult, considering our history of never making it easy in qualifying, this was near perfect. Roberto Martinez, both with Belgium and now Portugal, has never lost a European qualifier. Obviously, that doesn't mean anything. What means is what happens next summer in the Euro in Germany. But it was very positive. We, he also called up all his best players, which surprised me. But I think things went very, very well. I think we know the 28, 29 players that he's going to use. And that's it. Let's just be happy. Obviously, in the spring, we're going to find out. We're going to be playing some warp-up matches against some very tough competition. And obviously, we'll see what this Roberto Martinez can really do at the Euro next summer. The draw, and I'll talk more about it in the next episode, 199, because the draw isn't until Saturday, December the 2nd. But Portugal is in pod one with Germany, France, Spain, Belgium, and England. Uh, and Portugal, uh, again... It's like a lottery trying to figure out who's going to be in our group. That's why they do the uh, draw. Worst case scenario is if we got Denmark from pot two, the Netherlands or Croatia in pot three. And it's hard to believe Italy's in pot four, but even getting Serbia in pot four would be tough. That's what Portugal wants to avoid, that type of uh, group of death. But you know something, sometimes with us, we tend to play better against the really harder teams. Maybe that'll be the case here. But look, we qualified Let's move on, and that's all I'll say because uh, I just think we need to be happy, and, and we'll see what happens with the uh, draw next weekend. Uh, we have Cup football this weekend, the fourth round of the Taça de Portugal. We've got two matches Friday, seven on Saturday, seven on Sunday, round of 32. Everything that's going on Friday, the day I dropped this episode with Vizel at home to Estrela Amadora, a pair of Division One teams going up against each other. And then we've got Porto. That will be playing, four, uh, I think they're in the fourth tier, Montaleg. Montaleg, by the way, has a young Canadian, 19-year-old defender uh, on the team. I think his name is McCauley. McCauley. 
Um, he's somebody to pay attention to. I apologize that I don't know his uh, full name. But Porto will be playing at home in the Dragon. And the reason why Porto is playing on Friday, of course, is because they're going to be playing in the Champions League on Tuesday. So that's why they're playing on Friday. You've got seven matches on Saturday. The, if you're asking me who is the smaller club that can beat a bigger club, I think one potential upset could be Canales 2010 taking on Maritimo from the second division. Maritimo in fourth place. This is a very interesting match. Serpa, I believe they're in the third tier, taking on Gil Vicente. That's a very dangerous match for first division. Uh, Gil Vicente, uh, first place Nacional, is playing Casapia and their new manager. Uh, of the big clubs in Portugal, Braga, I think, has it, uh, one of the tougher matches. They've got to go to Portimão and play that team, Portimonense, who's having a decent year mid-table in the first division. Uh, another interesting match is Benfica will be playing at home to Familia Cong. Uh, the Benfica Familia Cong Porto Montreleg match, by the way, are an RTP international. So if you don't get that in your country, check out to see if you could see the match online at rtp.pt. If your country doesn't have the rights to the match, sometimes they do show the match on that website. That's, of course, RTP's official website. You got nothing to lose in trying to check it out. And if you do get RTP, uh, usually we only get one match for the Liga. Well, this week you've got two matches from cup competition. Uh, Benfica playing Familia Con Fama. Fama played their third round match last weekend. They went to Madeira to beat uh, four-tier Camacha. Uh, Camacha, Familia Con match was supposed to be played the same weekend they played the third round matches. But because of weather and the plane being unable to land in Madeira, that match was postponed, and they played it last weekend. Fama won, so Fama will be going to play Benfica. Fama, by the way, next weekend plays, um, you know, Porto. So tough weeks for uh, basically uh, Familia Cone, who have to play Benfica this weekend, and then Porto next week in the Liga, uh, going to at home playing uh, Porto. So they play Benfica this week and Porto next weekend. Uh, on Saturday, another seven matches. Sporting is at home against Dumiens, one of the smaller clubs in this competition. Dumiens is president. Um, really believes they have a shot uh, to win to, to upset Sporting. I, I don't think it's going to happen, even if Sporting rests a lot of their players, and we know they will, especially their great Swedish striker has been kind of discussed. He will not be playing this weekend. He's going to be getting a rest. But we'll see what happens. Um, one of the interesting matches, by the way, uh, happening on Sunday that's kind of close to home for me, but not in a great way, and that is Leiria is going to be playing at home against the only club left in the districts, Atletico Malveda. That is the club that eliminated my tier from the fifth tier of the districts, Atletico Duj Arcus. They are the only district team left, so it's kind of a six degrees of separation disappointment for me that they're still alive. The team that beat us is still alive. This could have been us. Obviously, it's not. By the young lady, and I hope they beat Malveda. And of course, we've got other interesting matches. Estrel Praia playing second division Mafra. This is a good match. And we got Turiens, fourth place Turiens in the second division at home uh, to Tunela. So that is uh, basically the matches um, for this weekend in the cup. And then next weekend, we'll have the resumption after a uh, what three week break with the first division football. Next weekend, and we're talking about early December, match day 12. There's some really good matches. I told you already, Fama, Porto. Braga is at home to Estoril. Estoril has won two in a row under the new manager, Vasco Siabra, including beating Porto in the Dragon. Check this out. Fifth place, Moreirense hosts first place, Benfica. That is a very good match. 
And then Sporting doesn't play until Monday, December the 4th. They'll be playing at home against Gil Vicente because Sporting, of course, next Thursday will be playing in Europa. And they, I believe, are going uh, to Italy. So that's your first division report. Second division report, we only have two matches this weekend. Most of the matches in match day 11 were played last weekend during the international break because uh, most of these clubs played round two of the Tasa de Portugal back in September. So as a result, the second division is one week behind the first division. But they made up for those matches last week during the international break. But two teams that didn't play last weekend are playing this weekend. And those really involve, well, basically two matches and four clubs that are no longer in the Tasa de Portugal, well, in the case of FC Porto B and Benfica B, they're not eligible, of course, because obviously the parent club plays in it. But they're playing two teams that are eliminated. FC Porto B on Saturday is playing AVFC, which is Académico do Viseu, which I've noticed lately is being listed as AVFC. So that's a bit of an interesting development. And then we have Benfica B at home. Benfica B practically near the relegation zone. They'll be playing the Leverence, and these two matches, again, are taking place on Saturday during the same weekend as the Taça de Portugal. Second division, Santa Clara Nacional in first place with 23 points. So you've got a team from the Azores and a team from Madeira, two island teams at the top. Third place, AVS, which I think at one point they were up by five points in first place. They're slipping. They've now dropped to third with 22. And then my favorite club in second division from Torres Vedras, Turiens. A lot of family there. They are tied for fourth place with Maritimu with 19 uh, points each. And, of course, some of these clubs are going to be playing in the Taça de Portugal uh, this uh, weekend. Uh, women's football. Hey, we got some great matches in women's football. First off, Benfica is in first place in the women's table with 21 points, Sporting with 16 in second, Braga also in second with 16, and then you got Maritimo in fourth place with 13. And guess what? The top four teams, they're playing each other this weekend. You've got the big derby, uh, which I'm surprised isn't being played in the... Oh, well, of course, they're not playing in the Luz because Benfica's playing in the Luz this weekend, but they're playing this at Cova de Piedad. The derby, Benfica versus Sporting. Benfica wins. They open up an eight-point lead in first place. Sporting wins. They managed to cut the deficit to first place by only two points. And then the other big match is Braga going to Madeira to play Meritimu. So basically first and second place playing each other, third and fourth place playing each other this weekend in women's football. And I think that's pretty darn exciting. Uh, let's move on here and now talk about the Player Abroad Report. Very interesting story uh, came out this week. Um, and that was that uh, they, were, they announced that Cristiano's on the SAR was going to be playing Lionel Messi's Inter-Miami in February in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. They called this the last dance because this is probably the last time we might see Cristiano go up against Messi. But then later on that day, after this announcement, um, basically Inter-Miami came out and released a statement saying, hey, there's no truth to this. This hasn't been agreed to yet. What's going on here? And as a result, they, of course, uh, denied it. And uh, as a result, uh, right now, it doesn't look to be happening. But you know something? There's a lot of time between here and February. I think eventually you will see it because there's just too much interest in people seeing this match. And perhaps the deal wasn't done yet and maybe it was prematurely announced. But somehow I still see this happening. Uh, when there's money to be made, people are going to try to make money. And that's just my opinion. But interestingly, we could be seeing a Cristiano versus Messi one more time in February in Saudi Arabia. Other big news announced this week by Fabrizio Romano. 
Paris Saint-Germain have activated the buy option clause uh, to sign Gonzalo Ramos on a permanent deal, of course, because of, I think, financial fair play. I think they paid Benfica something like 10 or 15 million, uh, a fee for what was considered a loan, and now they've activated it for the other 65 million. Um, he says 65 million fixed fee to Benfica, plus 15 million in add-ons per Fabrizio Romano. No really surprise. Uh, I, I just didn't see uh, you know a deal like this, uh, PSG saying no, and him coming back that you just knew that wasn't going to happen. Uh, but that is uh, the big news. Uh, the other big news is Bernardo Silva. He uh, he did a big interview with RTP, and uh, it was uh, an interview uh, with Fatima Campos Freira in RTP's program, Primeiro Pessoa, first person. And he was asked a lot, as you can imagine, he was asked about Benfica. It's no secret that he thought he left Benfica too soon. He thought he was told so too soon. He blamed the hierarchy of Benfica for doing that. That surprised a lot of people when he was sold. I think it was for, what, $15 million to Monaco. Uh, but he did talk about one day he would like to come back. Obviously, he's not going to make the money he's making at City with the type of salary of Benfica. And he said that he understands that. He understands the realities in Portugal. But that one day he would like to come back to Benfica. We all know he said he was asked because, you know, he did not vote for Rui Costa in the last election. But he complimented Rui Costa, called him one of the greatest players of Rui Costa in the golden generation. And he said that uh, Rui Costa has been you know, especially the first full year, as not as interim, but the actual president of the team when he was voted in, he said he's done some great work, so he's very complimentary to Rui Costa. And uh, he said he would, you know, like to come back and that he, uh, you know, he thinks highly of Benfica. And uh, he did say he would never play for Sporting or Porto. And, and sometimes we have players say that, and then when there's a chance to come back to Porto, the only clubs that are interested are not their original clubs, but the others, and sometimes players have to bite their words. I think with Bernardo Silva, I really do see him not coming back to to, uh, to Porto or Sporting. I definitely only see him coming back to Mefica. Look, he's played in several Champions League with uh, City. He's made a lot of money. I think he's just going to go back and play for Benfica. So I see that happening in a few years. Maybe do what Di Maria is doing right now at Benfica and giving Benfica those extra important goals that they need. Although we obviously know Benfica is not doing well in the Champions League. Uh, moving on for the Big Four report. I want to start off first talking about Porto. And there's, there's really two big stories with Porto. First is the Pinto da Costa interview. He also did a TV interview with Seek. That was also on Seek Noticias. Seek is like RTP. It's a free channel in Portugal. You just need an antenna. You don't need to pay uh, cable or satellite to get it. Um, and he did an interview with Seek. Uh, check this out. Between Seek and Seek Noticias, which is a paid channel, Seek Noticias, but not Seek, over 965,000 people in Portugal watch the show on Seek. Uh, this is common when one of the big three, and, and I ref this is when Braga is not a part of this conversation, but when a Porto Braga, excuse me, Porto Sporting um, or Benfica presidents talk after a controversy, these tend to get massive ratings and seek uh, beat a lot of the other TV stations to interview Pinto da Costa. And uh, they asked Pinto da Costa a lot of questions. First of all, about the General Assembly, he said, look, there were problems. As soon as he asked, happened, he asked the, that the, the General Assembly stop because he saw that there were some confrontations. He said the fans were very passionate. He said that he thought their rivals loved the news reports of chaos. 
Um, and he basically said that, look, nobody went to the hospital. Yes, there were problems, but he devalued it by saying it's not, you know, there was nothing, nobody was seriously hurt. Um, but he acknowledged the problems. He acknowledged the fact that so many people came, they had to move it to a bigger venue, which was the arena. And he acknowledged that part of it. But he said that he felt it was a little bit overblown, that his rivals were doing that. He said that the president of Sporting Verandes would love for him to get out of Porto as soon as possible and that he takes that as a compliment that another president wants to see him out. Of course, we know Pinto de Costa has been president of Porto for 40 years. Um, he said that when it comes to the money problems, he said, you know, again, attacking Benfica, he said, look, Benfica in the summer sold Gonzalo Ramos in the middle of the summer. That money made their finance report. They didn't sell anybody significant until later on in the summer, and that didn't make the most recent financial report. And he said that if Benfica had not sold Gonzalo Ramos, or they had sold them later on in the summer, that money would not have been in the financial report of Benfica, and Benfica would have been pretty much in the same position as Porto is right now with having a big deficit. But Pinto de Costa said, hey, once that money of Octavio, and remember, his release clause went up to 40. He was eventually sold for something like 60, so they made 20 million more. That money will be in the next financial report. And he says when that happens, then everything should be okay. And he felt the, the need to say that. He also took a shot at Benfica again, saying, look, Benfica sold this player, and they have zero points in the Champions League. He says they were smart about it this summer, only sold later, and they are on the verge of qualifying for the knockout stage of the Champions League. So there's no such thing in Portugal as a president of Porto Benfica or sporting not doing an interview and taking a shot at their rivals. I mean, the sun comes up every day or it gets light every day. In Portugal, this is a fact of life. It's going to happen. So he came out and said this. Now, the other big news was that Andres Vilas Boas, who was obviously going to be running for president, about two weeks ago or a week ago, his the, the front wall of his home outside was vandalized. Now we saw an incident where some people went on the property and assaulted a caretaker. He had to go to the hospital. Uh, they even stole the car. And obviously, you could imagine Vilas Boas is not feeling very safe. And a lot of people are accusing intimidation. Uh, Super Dragoins, the Porto big supporter club for Porto, came out in a statement vehemently denying no involvement whatsoever in this. They even called on the authorities and the public ministry to investigate this. They feel like they're being slandered. Um, and they feel, and Porto as well, is denying that there's any intimidation here. The problem is, is you've had two incidents now from Vilas Boas, who lives in Porto. And if you're trying to win an election, and by the way, the election's only in April. This is only November. The last thing you want is someone running against you to be in the news as much as Vilas Boas has been. And the other problem with this also is that, um, you know, there is a segment of the Porto population that is getting tired of defending their club and players and manager. And there are some people who feel there needs to be a fresh blood, there needs to be a fresh leader. A lot of people are very appreciative of Pinto da Costa, but they feel it's time for freshness and they feel like Village Bowers will bring it in. But 
We know Vilas Boas, even though he you know, was hired by Pinto da Costa, he had that great year. They won the Europa, beating Braga in the Europa final, the last time that a Portuguese team has won a European competition. We know Vilas Boas' history, but apparently, since he's decided to run for president, that has soured his relation with Pinto da Costa. And now you have these situations, and there's a lot of the accusations that are being thrown around. Depending on if you're a Porto fan, you believe that this is not happening with anybody associated with the club, whether direct or indirect. And then you have the people that are saying, of course this is, come on, intimidation. It just really all depends on the club you support and what you believe right now. But you have a lot of problems happening off the pitch, and it's only November, and this election is in April, and that's it. The General Assembly, last I heard, they may be pushing it off till later on in December. Then I've heard they may not happen. I really don't know what to say at this point when I drop this episode. And again, I only know about what's happening up until the point that I dropped this episode. But that's a very, very big news. And there was another club with Porto. It seems like we get this every two or three weeks. And if you're a regular, you know I've said this, but this time it was a club in Brazil called Guimbra that says that they are still owed some debt from Porto's deal for Otavio, I think maybe when Porto got him from Vitoria Guimarães, there must be something in the contract that this club should have gotten something. Maybe it's the the FIFA percentage that you give to the club that formed the player. Maybe I, I'm not really sure the specifics, but either way, another club complained to FIFA, and apparently it was taken care of right away. But you tend to have these things that are happening where these clubs are coming out and accusing Porto of not paying their debt. So again, if you're a Porto fan. Feel free to write in. Tell me what you think. I did have somebody that did write something, and I'll do it in the mailbag, but that seems to be a very interesting situation. And again, the super clocks, the drug, the, the, the super dragoins have vehemently come out denying anything. Porto denies everything. Somebody is doing something. Nobody knows who it is. It's a public relations. You, we could all agree it's not a good situation, public relations-wise. Uh, uh, sporting, uh, again... Yeah, we know that they're going to probably, we know that there's their big Swedish strikers aren't going to play this weekend in the Cup. So it'll be interesting to see the big story this weekend getting ready um, for, um, and I'll have the Europe, European previews coming up here in a minute. Um, basically, it be interesting to see who Sporting is going to line up in the Cup. How many players are they going to rest? We'll see what happens. But here's the thing of Sporting that I want to talk about, and it's not the first time. Mm. Young talent, Geni Katamu. A club called Amora in the third tier owned 75% of his rights and per the latest reports, Sporting offered $1.5 million for him. For a player that probably in two years could go for as much as $25 to $30 million, even if Sporting only offered, let's say, $3 million for him and the media reports are wrong, if you're Amora, who by the way has rejected those offers, why in the world would Sporting think that they can do that low of an offer and think that this club is going to accept it? This is obviously a lot of money for this club, of course. Big money. But if you know this kid in a few years could be sold for 20, 30, 40 million, depending on how much better he gets, but certainly he's looking attractive to earn a lot of money. I just don't understand the logic of Sporting offering the slow money. I, I talked, this is like the third episode in a row where I've said I don't... If you're a Sporting fan and you want to email me their, their train of thought on this. I just, why would you think that Amora is only going to accept 1.5 million or let's say it's 2.5 million or 3.5 million for a player that's going to go for 10 times that maybe in two years? Um, <laughs> I just don't understand the logic. I, I, 
Again, if reports are to be believed, I just don't understand the logic in this. It just doesn't make sense. And, you know, Familia Cone with Ugart and Pote, they hold the held out for a lot of money because they owned a percentage of those players' passes before they were sold to Sporting, and then they still kept a big percentage of those passes, and then Sporting came along and paid a lot more money. The big clubs are doing to the big three in Braga what big three in Braga do to the big clubs in Europe. The smaller clubs are starting to catch on and asking for more money, and uh, it's about time. But that also makes you ask the question, why would these clubs taking such low-ball offers in the past? So I don't get it, but that's the story. Braga... Let me just say this about uh, Braga. Obviously, we know they, they renewed with Arthur Georges. But I'll start off the European thing. A big match for Braga this week. Uh, right now, they sit in third place, and they look to be in very good shape. They're hosting Union Berlin at home. They win. At the very least, they know that they will be in third place if they win. If Real Madrid can beat Napoli... Uh, because Braga is uh, scheduled, uh, let's see, what time are they playing? They're playing on, uh, let's see, Wednesday. Uh, they're playing at home. That's a 20 hours game. If Braga beats Berlin, they automatically, at the very least, know they're going to the Europa playoff. Because basically, the second place team, uh, excuse me, the third place team in the Champions League group plays the team that finishes in second place team in the Europa group. So only the first place team in the Europa group advances to the knockout stage. The second place team in the Europa group plays the playoff against the third place team in the Champions League group. And if you're Braga, this is a good opportunity for you if you beat Union Berlin, and obviously you had one of your best wins in history, not the greatest, but one of the best, losing 2 nothing at Union Berlin and coming back to win 3-2, to two, this is a very big match for Braga. But here's the thing. If Braga wins and Real Madrid beats Napoli, Braga has six points, Napoli has seven. All of a sudden now, if you're Braga, you go match day six, okay, to Italy to play Napoli, and, and obviously you could have gotten a point in the first match day, but Napoli scored that late goal to beach. I think it was an own goal. But there's an opportunity for Braga to still somehow be alive for second place. They need to win. They need Real Madrid to beat Napoli, and obviously Real Madrid is qualified. So we know that we don't know if Real Madrid is necessarily going to play their best players. There's an opportunity here. Um, even if Napoli draw and Braga win, Braga would still have to go to Italy and win to try to get any shot at second place. And and by the way, they've already made 30-something million qualifying for the groups. They qualify for the knockout stage. That is some massive amount of money. You know, we're talking maybe them earning as much as 50 altogether. Major money. Major, major money. Now, the club that hasn't earned a lot of money that's also playing on Wednesday is Benfica. They are playing Inter at home. Sociedad and Inter with 10 points each. Red Bull Salzburg with three. Benfica with zero. Benfica's already been eliminated from the Champions League, but their hope right now is to finish in third place and to try to go to that playoff against the second-place team in the Europa group after the draw. They have to beat Inter, okay? And they have to hope that Real Sociedad takes away some points for Red Bull Salzburg because Salzburg won the first leg 2-0. Opportunity still for third place, but the problem is, is they made something like 40 million qualifying for the Champions League groups, which, by the way, they didn't have to lift a finger because they won the Liga, so they automatically went to the groups. But now that they're playing, every time they win or they draw, they earn a, a certain amount of money. 
Last year, between automatically qualifying for or qualifying for the groups, winning their group, they did win their group. Then they went and they made it to the quarterfinals. You know, of the Champions League, they made something like 80 million last year. This year, they've only made something like 40, 41 million, and they've been eliminated from the Champions League, so they have got no shot. Okay, of making significant amount of money. Maybe the most they can make is another eight or nine million. But at the end of the day, you're also Benfica. You consider yourself a big European club. They have to beat Inter, and there's no doubt about this. They have to go and beat Inter on Wednesday, and that's a match, uh, excuse me, in Luge. They've got to beat Inter in Luge, and if they do that, then Benfica would have an opportunity, especially if Real Sociedad beat Red Bull Salzburg, then Benfica would look in the final match day when they go to Red Bull Salzburg to try to finish in third and stay alive at the very least in Europe. So that's next Wednesday. You've got Braga, okay, Braga at home. Um, let me just double check this. Yes, you got Braga at home to Union Berlin, and you got Benfica at home to Inter next Wednesday. Now on Tuesday, okay, you've got Porto going to Barcelona, uh, and Porto's got to be very careful. Even though they're in great shape, you've got Barcelona and Porto with nine points. Shakhtar with six and Royal Antwerp with zero. Barcelona lost the last match day to Shakhtar Donetsk. Okay? So basically you have Shakhtar, who's going to be playing Royal Antwerp. If they beat them, they have nine points. If Porto loses, then you're essentially playing for second place next week at home against Shakhtar. But if Porto beats Barcelona, then Porto knows in that final match day they only need a draw to basically move through to the knockout round. So, and not to mention the fact that Porto want to win because they want to go to Barcelona and win. So this is a very interesting result because Shakhtar beat Barcelona last match, they won nil. All of a sudden, the top two isn't necessarily the top two confirmed anymore. And now Shakhtar gets into the picture. But this is a match that's going to be played Tuesday. This is also going to be at 20 hundred hours. So again, must-win matches for the three Portuguese teams in the Champions League. Now, next Thursday, you've got Sporting playing. Sporting, of course, second place in the group. You've got Atalanta with 10, Sporting 7, Sturmgrass 4, Raquel uh, 1. Uh, sporting right now, by finishing in second, would go into the playoff to play the third-place team in a Champions League group. Atalanta, if they stayed, would automatically advance to the knockout round of the Europa but Sporting has a chance, even though they lost to Atlanta in the first leg, and let's be honest with you, the, the, the Serie A club outplayed them, I thought. Sporting has a chance to go there, okay, get the three points, and try to get to that first base. Because remember, if you avoid the playoff and you win the group, that's one less, two less matches to play in February. And Ruben Amorim has said the priority is the Liga, so the less matches you're playing in February, the better it is for you. Not to mention the fact that you earn just a little bit more money, even though it's not Champions League money, it's a little bit of money. If you lose and Sturmgrass beats Rakao, then all of a sudden the match in Alvalade next week basically is about second place. Because if you finish in third place, then you go to the conference, the Europa Conference League playoff. And I don't think Sporting necessarily wants that, although we've never had a club in Portugal. Not only have we never had a conference in the Europa Conference League, We've had teams all eliminated in the summer qualifying for it. But this third competition, we've never had a Portuguese team playing in the group stage, and we've never had a Portuguese team playing 
in the knockout stages. And I don't think Sporting wants to finish third and have to go to the Europa Conference League where you even make less money than you do in the Europa. So, look, must win for all these clubs next week. There is no, no doubt about it. And I think that these are some really very important matches for these um, for these clubs next week. And I'll be honest with you, it's very exciting. Uh, if you get a chance to watch it, I'm hoping I'll be able to get a chance on Wednesday. Uh, very curious to see that Benfica and uh, Braga match. Uh, that's the best day I can uh, take off from work to uh, go see those matches at a great pub locally. Uh, let's move on and basically uh, finish it up with my last two things, and that's, of course, Atletico dos Arcos in my mailbag. First off, as you know, my favorite club in Portugal is Atletico dos Arcos. Last weekend, they recorded a 4-0 win at home against Ancora Praia. So they continue in first place. Second place, Munsong, it with 26 points, two points b- behind my club. They went to Punta Barca, <laughs> and they beat Punta Barca t- uh, 1-0. Uh, so Atletico dos Arcos in first place after 11 match days with 28 points. Musong with 26. Cardinal Lentz with 23 in third place. And then we have a t- two-way tie in fourth place with Punta Barca and Vitorino de Pionge with 22 points each. So not a bad result f- so far. And by the way, next match day in two weeks, Atletico dos Arcos goes to Monson in a battle of first and second place. Massive match in two weeks. Atletico dos Arcos at the very least need to get a draw. Uh, otherwise, if they lose, they will ju- lose first place. If they win, it's a chance to go into December with a five-point lead. Now, this weekend... There is no matches in the fifth tier uh, of the Viano do Castelo. They have their own local cup competition, the round of 32, the first round, and Atletico dos Arcos on uh, Sunday at 14.30 will be playing the second-to-last-place team in the second division of the districts, a team that's only won, I think they've lost like 10 of their 11 matches, so this should be... A comfortable win for Atletico de Jarcus, but I know the last few years Atletico de Jarcus have lost early in this. I don't know if it's because they just rest all their players. So we need to be very careful. And Munson is playing a team also from the second division of, of this uh, district, a team called Lenezes. Uh, Punta Barca, that fake club, is playing a club also from the second. Uh, seems like, yeah, I guess that, that's I guess what they must do. The f- clubs in the first division of this district are playing the second division. And again, uh, no league, league matches this weekend. It's all this regional round of 32 uh, cup uh, matches that are taking place uh, this week. Let me get going here uh, with my mailbag edition. Got three excellent comments this week. First, uh, from Back Full of Tofi. As always, a good listen, mate, on the latest podcast. Agree on Roberto Martinez. He has his fixed squad more or less than his mind, so can't really see any changes leading up to the finals unless a raft of injuries occur. What happened at Porto shows there is more opposition to Pinto da Costa than first thought. My own opinion is that you can be in a post for so long that you become stagnant and fall behind the trends. This is what I see in his presidency. Schmidt would have been on real sticky ground if he had lost in the derby. Sporting very unlucky. They will bounce back against Gil Vicente before two big games coming up for them against Vitoria and Porto. Uh, Martins leaving Casapia is no surprise. Pia really started to look like a team in a rut. Keep up the good work. P.S. If you, by any chance, find a spare 10 points lying around anywhere, let, let me know. Uh, he's a big Everton fan, and as we know, um, Everton had 10 points uh, deducted this past week. And By the way, that would never happen in Portugal. Um, they, they have deducted points. It's usually after the season. I think 
think it happened to Porto once, but I think they still won the first division by like 20 points or something. I don't see stuff like that happening in Porto. Uh, uh, or let's put it this way, Porto, Benfica, Sporting, but I, I would never see something like that happening to a big club in Portugal, never. Um, but anyway, unfortunately, I do not have 10 points, my man. Uh, but yeah, the way you ended, uh, that's, that's pretty funny. Thank you. Um, this one is from a fan, CR7. Um, he is on Twitter, uh, or X, or whatever they call it these days, DU4C7. Uh, I don't think Portugal will achieve the uh, Euro with players like Cancelo, Felix, or Bruno, a generation that unfortunately is a failure. Uh, I don't agree with you. Um, first off, they just finished the group 10 for 10 in wins. It was their best group qualifying effort e ever. Whether or not it was easier or not, we didn't need a calculator. And if you know our history, it was easy for us. And it's about time that it was easy for us. Bruno was one of the best players in European qualifying. I think he was, might have even been the top scorer. Cancelo and Felix, we know Ruben Amorini even said it back in September. He doesn't think those two players deserve call-ups. He does not think they're playing to form. But again, this goes back to Roberto Martinez, who has a mindset of only 28, 29 players that are going to be going uh, to Euro. And even if these players are not up to par with their club, he feels that these players fit what he's trying to do. And I think that's the reason why, even though we saw five players in these recent call-ups um, drop off for injuries, one player's wife had a baby, and he only called up two players because he pretty much knows the 28 or 29 that he's set. And that's why you're going to continue to see these players, especially in the spring, get the call-up. And uh, I, I don't think this is a failure. I mean, um, last time I checked, we did win the Nations League with some of these players, and whether or not you think that's a legitimate competition, it is a competition that they play in Europe. It is a competition that teams win, and we have the, the history of saying we won the very first one. And I think Concelu, well, he wasn't at the Euro because I think he got COVID, so he wasn't on. But I think, wasn't Bruno on Euro 2016? I don't remember, I have to check that. Um, I, actually, I don't think he was on Euro 2016. But I don't think this generation is a disappointment. I mean, obviously we haven't won anything yet, but look, their accomplishment is we had the best the group, so that's just my opinion. Um, my third and final comment here is from Jason, and he writes, and again, this podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addicts. I also put the audio on YouTube. And Jason wrote uh, on YouTube, let me, uh, let me see what he said here. Um, here we go. Great episode. Uh, Martinez was correct to stay with his core of players. Why call up players that aren't going to be called to the finals? Better to stay with your core and get them on your system. Portugal is on cruise control. If they don't at least get to the semifinals, what a waste. I believe they could win it. Uh, what happened to Porto was because of the Super Dragões. They are pinned to the cost of muscle. They need him in power so they keep all their uh, benefits. Again, the Super Dragons just want to be fair here. I've come out and strongly denied this. They're asking for the public ministry to investigate. But it, it, the point that you're saying is what I talked about before. If you're a Porto fan, or most Porto fans, you don't believe this, but there are some people, especially that aren't Porto fans, that do believe there's some intimidation going on. And obviously, you're one of those that feel this way. Uh, Befica are a mess. They better wake up. They are finishing last in the Champions League. That could happen but they've got two matches to get out of it. Uh, oh, 
Força Moção aqui para a minha terra. Uau! You are from, your family's from Moção. Well, then now you are my bitter rival, my friend. You are my bitter enemy. Uh, well, we're going to have a big match in about two weeks. Uh, only one of us can get promoted. Um, I'm very disappointed to hear this. I'm trying to remember if you told me about this before. Um... Uh, But oh, this is a bit of a... I'm surprised. But anyway, I'm glad to see you. By the way, let me just say, I'm just glad to see you paying attention to your local club, whatever division they're at. Many of you need to do the same thing. Let me finish your email. And you wrote this before the Iceland match, so let me make this when I finish your thing here. One more thing. Portuguese people are so negative sometimes. They complain about everything. They went to nothing at Glinskenstein, but they are still not happy. Our record is perfect with one game left. There are no more easy teams. The quality gets better. Plus, they parked the bus. He's referring to Liechtenstein in front of the net. Portugal actually tied this team back 2-2 back in 2006 World Cup qualifying. In the end, the win is a win. Winning by eight goals or one is still a win. So, Jason, thank you so much. You always have some great things to say, and thank you for listening to the podcast on YouTube. So, anyway, folks, I'm going to wrap up episode 198 of the PortugueseSoccer.com podcast. A belated happy Thanksgiving to everybody in the States. I know I'm dropping this compliment the day after. Enjoy the cup football. Remember, Porto and Benfica matches are on RTP International. Enjoy the big Champions League and Europa matches next week with Portuguese clubs. Looking forward to the draw next weekend, and I'll talk a little bit more about it as well. As always, folks, please take care of yourselves. Please take care of your families. And I'll talk to you next week. Ciao, everybody.